the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel warns Israel that having a king won't be as wonderful as they seem to think, but they insist that they want one anyway. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 9. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse Verse 9. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, under Samuel's leadership, the nation's relationship with God is restored. They were free from Philistine oppression. But as so often happens over time, people tend to forget how awful things were. <laughs> And they grow restless with their forward progress. This is now going to be compounded by the fact that Samuel is an old man. And there's no clear successor to his leadership. And so Israel grows tired of the current system and they demand a change. Now, change can be good sometimes. But change is never good when the reason for change is in a misplaced hope. When it's placed in something other than the Lord. So we're going to see that as Israel demands a king. So verse 9, he says, Now therefore, hearken unto their voice. Because this isn't about you, Samuel. Because this is about something I knew was coming, and I've planned for it. So hearken unto their voice. God repeats his answer again, because now Samuel knows the reality of the situation. Now that he knows that, he'll be able to carry out the last two parts of God's answer, which is this. How be it? How be it? Protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Now, I want to pause for just a moment here. Samuel's initial reaction was so negative, right? I mean, he was displeased. He was disheartened, distressed, troubled at what they had said, so much so that he went to the Lord. And imagine if he had reacted in that moment, like if they said, we want a king. And and what if Samuel said, y'all crazy? Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you even suggest such a stupid thing? But I know there's probably times you felt that way when someone you love or someone you care about or brother and sister in the Lord, that they suggested something to you that you think is off the wall. This is why prayer is so important before we respond to something we don't agree with. Because even if you're right, you might be misreading what's really going on. See, only the Lord knows our heart. And while he won't reveal someone's heart to us, he will lead us to a course of action that will correctly minister to someone's heart. And so it's so important that we seek the Lord in prayer like Samuel did so he can get the shocker he got so he can respond correctly. 
And he can say to them, listen, the Lord says, if you really want a king, you can have one. But he warns you, this is what that will be like. See, the Lord says, I want to give them an opportunity to change their minds. So protest solemnly. The word protest, it means to warn of a future happening that is unfavorable. This will not be an upgrade. Warn them, this will be a downgrade, okay? Warn them of that. And then secondly, show them, explain to them what the manner, the normal custom, the normal practice of a king that shall reign over them will be. See, they have this pie in the sky concept of a king, Samuel. So tell them the truth. So verse 10, Samuel brings God's warning to the people. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that's reign over you. This is what it's like to have a king. He says, he will take your sons and he will appoint them for himself, for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. He'll set them to ear his ground. In other words, to, to till his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and the instruments of his chariot. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. In other words, a king will exercise authority over your loved ones, a greater authority than you will have. The phrase appoint for himself, it means he will put them in the places he wants and you can't do nothing about it. Do you understand that's a normal practice of a king? I mean, do you remember when David was brought in to soothe Saul's insanity with his music? Imagine your hard-earned money paying for piano lessons for that. Hi, I'd like you to lullaby our insane president. A king, of course, back then, not a president, but ruler. I'll have you lullaby him to sleep and hope he doesn't chuck any spirits at you while you're singing. How do you like that career foisted upon your child? God made demands upon the parents in Israel, upon families in Israel, but it was never for his own selfish desires, never because he was in sin, or never because he was broken, insane, didn't, things weren't working right. God is a perfect king. And Samuel warns them, you'll have no same guarantee from a human king. Well, not only will a king exercise authority over your loved ones, he will exercise authority over your property, verse 14. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He's going to take your men servants and your maid servants and the best of your young men, your donkeys. He's going to put them to work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. I remember the first time I heard the phrase eminent domain. I'd never heard it before. It came to my ear because a friend of mine's parents had their home and business taken from them under the ruling of eminent domain. They were compensated, of course, but how does even a fair price compensate you for the life you've built? But that's what government does. That's what rulers do. You're at their mercy, and there's no other way around it. A king wouldn't need to compensate back then, and seldom did they back then. The entire land was considered his, and you used it at his pleasure. If he decided you using it didn't please him anymore, he could do whatever he wanted. It didn't belong to you, even if you'd purchased it. Now, the same, of course, is true of the Lord. I mean, I don't own anything I have. I, own, I have, possess everything I have at the Lord's pleasure, right? But 
Our Heavenly Father is more than fair, right? He is also good. He is gracious, and he loves to lavish blessings upon us. Samuel says, you'll have no same guarantee from a human king, elders of Israel. If they are wicked or become compromised, or even if they're just misinformed, you might lose everything. And then how will you feel about a king? You know, Ahab, one day Jezebel comes in. You know, we talked about her a little bit, super winner. Jezebel comes in and Ahab's pouting, pouting on his bed. She goes, what's wrong, honey? daughter wants a pinhead out there and I won and he won't give it to me. Jezebel says, you're the king. Why don't you just take it? Who cares what he thinks? And Ahab goes, aha. And he killed him. Took his field. How will you feel then about a king, Israel? Verse 18. And you shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you shall have chosen you. But the Lord will not hear you in that day. Now, this does not mean that God wouldn't hear their cries for deliverance from a king's evil behavior. God did that on many occasions where the people cried out because they had an evil king and the Lord answered that. That's not what the Lord's saying here. What the Lord is saying is you can cry out all you want to get rid of the monarchy, to go back to judges or go back to me being your king. I will not reverse this decision if you go through with it. That's what the Lord's saying here. There will come times when Israel would say, you know what, Lord, we were wrong. We should have been content with you as our king, Lord. Take the monarchy away. And God warns them up front, I will not say yes to that prayer. And he never did. He never did. Now, Israel's first king was Saul, and he was not an awful king as far as national policies go. I mean, he definitely had his personal flaws, but as far as national policy went, the nation was pretty happy. David was a good king to the people. They loved him. But both Saul and David were faulty. Both committed atrocities that negatively affected the people. We don't have any written record of them crying out to God saying, oh Lord, we we blew it here. We shouldn't have asked for a king. But we do have a record of them doing it after Solomon's reign. Look at Second Chronicles with me, in chapter 10. So this is only about 100 years, maybe a little bit more than 100 years, after God warns them of this. And in Second Chronicles chapter 10, the context is Solomon is dead. And what do you do in a monarchy? You pass it on to your son, right? And so just as Solomon took over after David, Rehoboam would take over after Solomon. But the people were like, "Ah, we don't like this monarchy thing anymore. And so in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for to Shechem were all Israel come to make him king. That's how you did it. When Solomon died, you go to Shechem to crown the next king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt because he had fled there from the presence of Solomon the king, when he heard that Solomon had died and Rehoboam was going to be crowned king, well, Jeroboam came back home out of Egypt. And they sent and called for him. Who sent? The people of Israel. Because the reason Jeroboam was in Egypt is because he had complained about Solomon's poor kingmanship, the way he had abused the people and mistreated them, used them, that his life was in danger. And so they sent and called him. So Jeroboam and all Israel came and they spoke to Rehoboam saying, your father made our yoke grievous. He made our lives miserable. Now, therefore, ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of your father and his heavy yoke that he put upon us. 
ease up on us, man. Change how you're looking at kingship and we will serve you. If that's the case, then we can go on with this whole monarchy thing. But if not, we're not good with that. We're not going to crown you king. Now, the way that story ends, of course, is Rehoboam says, you think my dad was hard? (laughs) And what happens? Ten tribes break away. We are only okay with continuing this king thing if you agree to change the way your father Solomon treated us. And when Rehoboam refused, ten tribes rebelled. But God didn't let them go back to a judges-led society. He made them pick their own king. So the Lord, he warned them. Now, why did God hold them to this? Because wanting to change from judges to a king or vice versa, it revealed a deeper problem, misplaced hope in a human being rather than the Almighty. Let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. There's a section there where the Lord dealing with Judah's sins through the prophet Jeremiah, he says something very heavy. In Jeremiah 17, verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. Arm is always a symbol of strength. It makes flesh, you know, human beings his strength. And whose heart departs from the Lord. Why will he be cursed? For he's going to be like the heath in the desert. The word there for heath, it means like a shrub in the desert. If you're in the desert, okay, and you see a shrub, is it something you look out and you go, well, that man, that thing just looks like it's flourishing. No, of course not. It looks like this lonely little shrub all by itself, withering and about to die. Now, obviously, shrubs are made for the desert, but If I was lining up, if I was a tree and I was lining up for an assignment, it would not be desert shrub. He shall be like that shrub in the desert. He won't even see it when good comes because it's always desert. He won't even see it when good comes. So even when good comes, he'll miss out. But he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabit it. This has been humanity's problem from the start. Back in Genesis chapter 4, right after the fall of man, Eve gives birth to a son. And what's his name? This glorious, beautiful boy. Cain, right? What does Cain mean? I have gotten the man from the Lord. What does that mean? Why did she call him that? Because God had made her a promise when she fell. She said, your seed will crush that serpent's head. It will rescue humanity from everything you guys have done. Well, she had Cain and she's going, that's it. He's the savior. He is my boy. He's going to rescue humanity. He's going to bring us back into the garden. He's the solution. He's the answer. He's the wonder boy. Talk about disappointment. This has been humanity's problem from the start. We put our hope In men. See, whether it was Eve's trust in Cain or it was Abraham's trust in his plan for Sarah to pose as his sister or Jacob's lying and conniving to get ahead or Israel's idols or Israel's desire for a king or Israel's later trust in other nations, which is what Jeremiah is talking about here. All of those are misplaced hopes. 
And these misplaced hopes reveal a heart that isn't yet content with placing all my hope in the goodness of God. A hope that trusts both his way and his timing. Many commentators I read saw chapter 8 of 1 Samuel as a condemnation of earthly rulers. They're just bad. They do this, 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 and this. But it's not. It's a condemnation of the wrong mindset of a people toward their rulers. And as such, also a condemnation of the wrong mindset toward the Lord. We have an amazing privilege here in the United States, our country. We get to vote for our rulers, right? An amazing privilege. Not just that, we also get to choose what church we go to, what pastor we'll sit under, right? I mean, if you might leave tonight and just go, I'm done. You have that right here. I mean, if you're living in a place where persecution is and the pastor gets up to teach and all eight of you who are in hiding are listening to him, it's not like you go, forget this, I don't like this pastor. He's got a whiny voice, I'm going down the street. You don't have that freedom, you do here. We have incredible privileges and freedoms in our country. Let's not squander that. I encourage you as the election's coming up to be informed and to vote. But our hopes, whether it's for a a prosperous, righteous nation or just a prosperous, righteous life for our family, our hopes can never be placed in those individuals or those organizations. If whoever the next president may be can throw you off spiritually, your problem isn't who the next president is. If our church and any of its failures can throw you off your life spiritually, your problem isn't with your church. Because when I place my hope in an individual or an organization here on earth, It reveals something heartbreaking. It reveals that I'm not content with the Lord being my king. That I'm not okay with his choices. That I'm not content with him watching out for me day by day. That I'll only be content, in my mind, with something more tangible and more stable than that. And that hope, always be disappointed, even if you get what you want. And that's what Samuel's trying to tell them. I can give you a king. God can even give you a good king. But if that's where you're looking to for your hope, for your happiness, for your stability, you're going to be vastly disappointed. Sadly, they do not listen to Samuel's warning from the Lord. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, nay, nay. The word refused, it means to resist and then not consent. Nay means we will not. As soon as Samuel started explaining the truth about a king, they hardened their hearts. They began to resist. And then they said, no, we will not be dissuaded. We will not listen to you. We will not continue as we are. But we will have a king over us, they said. This will happen is what that literally says. A king is going to happen, Samuel, with or without your help. We'd like it with your help. Now, how did they argue that a king would be an improvement upon the Lord? Verse 20. We will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations. And how is that? Three things. That our king may judge us, number one. He'd go out before us, number two. And number three, fight our battles. 
In other words, he will give us stable authority, judgment. He will give us stable leadership, go out before us. And he will give us stable organization of military. He will fight our battles. Now, if I was Samuel, I'd have been like, wait a second. God provides perfect authority. He provides perfect leadership. And he provides perfect military might. How can you go and improve upon those three things? But see, here's the difference. If they had a king, they say, well, we could visibly see that. If God's just our king, well, then we have to trust him for those things. And they didn't like trusting God for those things when a need arose. They wanted a system in place that put all their ducks in a row so nothing bad could happen to them, even if they blew it, even if they went astray. And I don't know if you've ever considered this, but that's a lot to put on a human being. It's something no human being can provide. Something only the Lord can. And the Lord, he doesn't ignore it when we blow it. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to a higher place. Now, Samuel did what God told him to do, but the people wouldn't listen. And so he returns to the Lord with their answer. Verse 21, and Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, hearken to their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go you every man unto his city. God says, give them what they want. And you know what? That can sometimes be the worst form of discipline from God to give you what you want. And yet God still calls the shots. He says, go home. Go home. I'll get back to you. (laughs) God makes it clear. He's still the one who calls the shots. He'll decide who their king will be, not them. And so while Israel still gets what they want, they're going to have to wait because God's going to do it his way. Now, Israel ignored God's warnings and they plunged headlong into misplaced hopes. So my question to you is, are you ignoring God's warnings or are you listening? Is your hope set in the right place? Because here's God's promise if our hope is set in the right place. Jeremiah 17 Verses seven and eight. And these are two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because it's our promise. If our hope is in the Lord, no matter what's going on around us, it could be literal hell going on around us. But even if that's the case, this promise is for us if our hope is in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, seven. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat comes. The word see here refers to being anxious. In other words, here's this cursed as a man of trust in man. He's gonna be like the shrub out in the desert. Even when good comes, he won't notice it because he's all out in the desert. On the other hand, the person who's trusting in the Lord, you're like a flourishing tree. And even when hard times come, you're not going to be anxious. But her leaf will be green. You shall not be careful, anxious in the year of drought. And here's the cool kicker here. And neither shall you cease from yielding fruit. Guys, whatever happens in our nation, 
in your family, your job, the church, whatever happens, we can always be fruit-bearing Christians. Always, always. Because Jesus hasn't moved at all. That's why Paul could say, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Doesn't matter. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge him, bring him into account. And he'll continue to direct your path and you can bear fruit. Amen? Let's all stand. Oh, Lord Jesus, I cannot speak for anyone else here, but I know I am easily distracted. I'm easily caught up in things that I don't need to be anxious for. And so, Lord, we're, we're so grateful that we have this promise of a blessing if we'll be a man or a woman who will trust in you, whose hope will be you. What a great thing that no matter what's going on around us, we can flourish, we can bear fruit, we can make disciples, we can knock down hell gates, we can still shine for you, live for you. The joy of the Lord is our strength. All of these things, all of these promises are still ours, even if it's scorched earth all around us. Thank you for that promise, Lord. We look to you as our hope, our only hope, and we rest in you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.